Well, we are going to read from this holy book now. If you haven't brought one along, reach forward to the seat in front of you and you'll find a black book. We're turning to page 998 and reading from Matthew 27, verse 11. Got it? I was just thinking then that there have been people who have died just defending the right to read this book. So let's not take it lightly that we can just pull one out from the seat in front of us. So Matthew 27, verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It's your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here. Now, I'm just going to pray before we start, but in particular, one of our members, Brad McCosker, uh, who we have prayed for his father. His father died in the last 24 hours up in Southwest Rocks, and Brad and Jen, I'm assuming, are up there. So let me just start by praying for the family, and then we're going to start the message. Father, we do bring before you Brad and Jen and their extended family as they mourn the loss of Brad's dad, Doug. And Father, while he's been sick, I know this will have been sudden, and we just pray that you would be with all of them in their time of grief, ministering to their hearts and minds. And Father, as we come to your word today, we do ask, Lord, that it would speak deep into our hearts and souls the message of the gospel of hope and of transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in the middle of our series, Purple Rain, and... It's called Purple Rain for two reasons. One is because purple is the colour of the robe they put on the Lord Jesus, and we're going to see that at the end of the reading today. Uh, it was a purple robe that they'd let him out to die in as he 
was nailed to the cross as the king, but it's also been said there are purple pastures, pastures that are the favourites of preachers and of people who read the Bible. And this is one of my favourite pastures. And I've never had a chance to preach on it, so it's a fresh sermon. I don't like recycling old sermons. And it's a story that has always captivated my heart uh, with what it communicates about the gospel. And it's a story in many ways about pathways. And there's no doubt pathways are everywhere. I'm sure all of us have walked along a path of some forms to get here to church. Um, they're generally very helpful. They guide you on a journey. Sometimes they can be hidden. Sometimes they're broad. Sometimes they're narrow. Um, but the key thing is they take you on a journey. And often in life, if I can speak if, uh, symbolically, we can feel lost because we've lost our pathway through the maze of life. Or the paths that we thought promised life have not actually brought that. They've only brought trouble or despair. And one of the things in life that's always fascinated me is how the pathway we walk in affects us. And there's no doubt, um, and I'm a child of a single parent. My dad died very young. And that's just the pathway I've been on. And I look at different families, and I noticed today in the news that there was a massive... um, real estate sale to Rupert Murdoch's daughter and you thought gee what would have been like growing up in that family the pathway they've been on Uh, here's someone that is always intriguing Donald Trump Um, I wonder what's the pathway like for his son Baron Uh, I actually don't envy him in any way I think it'd be a very difficult life I think about the children who've become victims of domestic violence And one of the great reasons that we need to address domestic violence and confront it and confront perpetrators is not just to help those who are the immediate victims, but particularly where it's in families, to protect those who are children because they are greatly impacted by it. And our mothers and our fathers are something that we have no choice in, no say in. And yet they impact us profoundly because of the pathway that they set us on in life. The decisions, the opportunities, the difficulties, and importantly, the responses to those difficulties that we learn so early on in life become deeply embedded in our DNA and they affect us and in some way they shape the path that we're on for life. The great news of the gospel, though, is um, it doesn't have to be determinative for our life ahead. Though we may be on one path, the gospel offers a different pathway in life. And I start this way because I know, uh, for two reasons. One is I know that we'll have people here who feel trapped in terms of the pathway they're on. There's no hope. There'll be people who have been walking down a certain path where they think they've turned their back on God and they wonder, can they return? There'll be people who've been on a pathway of rebellion and they've sinned and they think, am I a lost cause? There's others who think, I'm not loved, I feel so broken by this, is there any hope? And today we come to an amazing story. It's a story of where two pathways collide in this series, Purple Rain. It's a story about Jesus, who we know well, and Barabbas. And the day when their pathways intersected in a way that was profound and life-changing. And I've picked this story because it's a story that as you see these intersecting pathways of life come together on this faithful Good Friday, uh, the day before the Passover, back in AD 33, before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, it's a story that communicates incredible power and hope and it visualises what the gospel is. 
But it's also, if I can say, a very significant story in the mind of the gospel writers. There's a number of events that are repeated in every single gospel. I think there's about 10 of them, and this is one of them. All four gospels tell the story of Jesus and the day he encountered Barabbas before the governor Pilate. It's a day when their pathways collided. And before I turn to Matthew's Gospel, we're actually going to come to that much later in the story, uh, in the message today. What I want to do is just look at these two fascinating characters, but in particular Barabbas, and then compare and contrast him to the Lord Jesus, whom many of us will know well. And so first, let's look at Barabbas, who that fateful day encountered the Lord Jesus at the governor Pilate's place. Now, his name, Barabbas, is familiar, I imagine, to many of us. Who'd heard of Barabbas before you walked in today? Most people. Uh, what you may not know is that his name is technically called a patronym. Now, uh, that's a technical word, which I'll explain. It's worth knowing. Um, a patronym is a name that is made up of a number of components of a personal name based on the given name of one's father or grandfather or an earlier male ancestor. And it was very common in that day. I'll give you an example from the Gospels. And this one is from Mark, chapter 10, verse 46. Um, and I'll just read the verse. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And the first three letters of Barabbas or Bartimaeus, and you can think of Barnabas, there's a whole range of names that start with B-A-R. It's from an Aramaic word which simply means son. Bar means son. And you can see there in Mark, um, it's actually explained for you, Bartimaeus is the son of Timaeus. Now, when you take apart Bar Barabbas' name, what you have is Bar, the son of Abbas. Now, you may well know what the word Abbas means. It comes from Abba, father. And so Barabbas, his name was the son of the father. That's who he was. And one of the real possibilities is that he was called the son of the father in a kind of lyrical way because his father was well known. It's a real possibility. You could say similar to um, prior to, I think, October last year, you could say the son of Malcolm. And you'd be talking about who? The son of Malcolm Turbill. Well, that's what we find when we meet Barabbas. He's got an interesting name. But what you may not have known before you heard the reading today was his personal name is not Barabbas. That's just what they called him. His personal name was actually Jesus. Now, tell me, put your hands up if you knew that was his personal name. Not many. Got one down the front. Good scholar, Wally. Good on you. I'm going to read to you from Matthew's Gospel, the reading that um, Ella brought to us. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. Now, the reason most of us don't know this, and let me say, before I researched the sermon, I didn't know this, is because it's not included in all the Bible translations. And in fact, for most of us here who are, if I can say, been in Anglican churches, the typical Bible we've used is called the NIV, New International Version. And up until a number of years ago, we had the 1984 translation. It doesn't have Jesus Barabbas in that translation. It's only come in in the 2011 translation, which we currently have uh, in the seats and which we typically use for our Bible studies. And there it is. And you might ask, why has it just come in? Well, if you look at your footnotes, you'll see 
It's recorded as being in just a small number of manuscripts, but the, the significant thing is this, it's in the early manuscripts. In other words, the ones that are closest to the original of Matthew's Gospel. And it disappears in the later manuscripts, and in particular, it was in a particular region in terms of they know where the different scripts and manuscripts come from, and it was from the Palestinian region where it wouldn't have given offence. I'll give you the reason why I think it's true and why they got rid of it, because you see, it was offensive to many of the early church that Barabbas, who was this known murderer, would have the same name as Jesus, who was their saviour. And so the church father, Origen, um, he was a well-known person from the third century. He wrote in the first half of that. Uh, He died about 254 AD. He wrote this and he was well aware of the fact that Jesus Barabbas was called that. And he says, in the whole range of scriptures, we know that no one who is a sinner is called Jesus. And he wrote and encouraged people to drop that name out. It was offensive to his piety that Jesus would be called... Barabbas. Now, do you see the deep irony? You see, what he's saying is that Jesus was the one who we shouldn't call a sinner, yet the great irony is that's exactly what he died as, a sinner in our place. And so that's his name, Jesus Barabbas, his description. As you read through the four Gospels, they all have something different to say to us. And it's worth saying, Matthew records that he was a well-known prisoner. Now, Matthew writes particularly to Jewish people, and so no doubt the audience of those in Jerusalem would have been on view. And he doesn't elaborate any further. Why? Because I take it they all knew about him. He was well-known, and they knew why he was in prison. Mark, Luke, and John write to a broader audience, and they give us some more details. Uh, Mark wrote to an audience that was quite broad and he tells us that Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who committed murder in the uprising. And in that day, for the Jewish people, there was a movement or a sub-movement of people who were seeking to overturn the Roman government. And one of the great hopes was that there would be a Messiah who would come and lead the people in rebellion against the godless Romans of the day And the people in jail that day were insurrectionists, those who'd risen up against the Romans, they'd committed murder in the uprising. Luke tells us that it wasn't just those in prison with him who'd committed murder. Luke tells us that actually he was guilty of murder himself and he committed it in the city of Jerusalem. He was an insurrectionist, a rebel himself. John tells us that he'd taken part in the uprising. Now the word that John uses here, so I'll just put those four things up on the screen is a word, and I don't normally use technical words, but it's worth understanding this, uh, is a word that's called lestes. Now, the reason I mention it is, if you know the story of the Gospels, one of the most favourite stories of people, particularly when you think about the assurance of eternal life, is that there's a supposed thief who dies on the cross next to Jesus. Who's heard it described that way, the thief who died on the cross next to Jesus? Now, the word lestes could mean a thief, and that's why he's often been described as a thief, but it's more commonly a word that is used for rebels or insurrectionists, those who rose up against the Romans. And what we know from Matthew, Mark and Luke is that when you put the story together, those who are in prison with Jesus were murderers, they were rebels, they were insurrectionists. And so it wasn't a thief who died next to Jesus, it was another one of his fellow insurrectionists who'd murdered people in the name of God most likely 
to seek the freedom of the people to overthrow the Roman government. And the interesting thing is there is a Jewish historian called Josephus and he picks up this term lestes and it's used by him as a synonym for what was a radical group of Jewish men, the Sicarii. And what the Sicarii would do is they would go and assassinate both Roman and the Jewish sympathisers with the Romans in Jerusalem as their way of trying to overthrow the Roman rule. And so if I can put this all together, and the Sicarii would have a long knife and they would come, and when the festivals were on, uh, they would come up to you, or if you were the target man, and they would, with great skill and ability, slit your throat or do whatever and just walk off into the crowd. They were the early form of professional assassin. And so what we know about Barabbas is he's this well-known figure, most likely a Jewish freedom fighter, who it appears could have been a professional assassin who did his dirty work in the city to overthrow the Roman rule of the day. Now I mention this because one of the things that's always intrigued me is why would they pick this Barabbas over Jesus? And... You see, I've always seen him as this kind of thug, uh, this person who everyone would have despised. But the reality is he would have been someone who in some way, shape or form would have had some heroic qualities about him to the Jewish people of the day. His cause was freedom. And there's no doubt, there's many writings that speak of the Jewish desire to see the kingdom come for a Messiah to arrive, and their great desire was that the Roman rule would be overthrown. And there's no doubt this is part and parcel of who Barabbas saw himself off, this force that was seeking to, if I can use might and murder, in the name of God to overthrow the Roman rule. He would have been seen in some way, shape or form, a martyr dying for the cause. But lastly, his pathway. He'd probably lived what was an exciting life, a significant life, a life that he thought was filled with purpose. But yet the pathway he was now on was a very narrow one. And there were three crosses that had been erected for him and for his two fellow murderers. And that Good Friday they knew was execution day. And we know from the gospel records that his fellow murderers were executed on the left and the right. And it's most likely his cross was actually built for him to die in the middle. And that was the pathway he was on as we pick up the story. And as we meet the other man that his paths intersected with that day, the Lord Jesus. And like Jesus Barabbas, he had the same name. And the word Jesus comes from the Hebrew word Joshua. It simply means Yeshua, to save. And so what we have on view here are two saviour figures. There is Yeshua, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Yeshua, son of the father, Barabbas. One had sought to save Israel from the judgment of Rome in this world. One was seeking to save them from the judgment of God in the world to come. And both these Jesuses were sons of the Father. Jesus, Barabbas, son of the Father. Jesus, 
of Nazareth, son of the eternal father. And one of the things we know about Jesus of Nazareth is he taught his disciples to pray, Abba, Father, our Father in heaven. And so it is worth asking the question, who is the father of this Barabbas? Well, of course, he had an earthly father, but from a spiritual point of view, his father was the devil. I say that because in John's gospel, as Jesus critiques the Jewish leadership of the day, he says, you have no idea, if I can put it colloquially, your father is not in heaven, he's actually the one who is the father of lies. The devil is actually your father. And in many ways, that is who Barabbas was. He was a son of the ruler of the air. The son who had been deceived, the son who had been lied to by the devil, the son who had been led astray. And that's the problem of living in this world. There is a ruler of the kingdom of this world. He is the devil and he leads people astray. He offers life and a pathway to walk down to find life, but it never goes there. It only ends in destruction, in pride, in ignorance, and ultimately in judgment from God. It is not the pathway to freedom and life that the Lord Jesus offers. Freedom from sin and life eternal. And so that day there are two Jesuses. But secondly, when you look at the description of Jesus, there are two things to note. Pilate, when offering the two Jesuses to the crowd, speaks of Jesus Barabbas, the son of the father, and Jesus who is called the Christ, the Messiah. And that's how he's described. And to make the point, we know in Mark's gospel that when Jesus was crucified, he had nailed to the top of the cross in three languages, Latin, Aramaic, and Greek, this is the king of the Jews. But the defining feature that separates Jesus Barabbas from Jesus, the son of Joseph, is that he was innocent. And that's the thing Pilate can't get his head around. It's interesting, um, commentators, when they reflect on Pilate, say two things. He was weak and he was cruel. But he wasn't stupid. And he looks at this Jesus and he knows he's innocent. His wife, we're told in Matthew's Gospel, in the reading, had a dream that night given to her, I take it from God, to have nothing to do with this man because of his innocence. And so you have two Jesuses on that day. One is absolutely guilty. His hands are covered in the blood of others. And you have another who is innocent, who will have his hands covered in his own blood very shortly. His cause. Well, it's freedom. Just like Jesus Barabbas. Luke 19, verse 10, I've come to seek and save the lost. John 8, 31. He offers freedom to those who will follow him and obey his teaching. John 10, verse 10, I've come to bring life, life to the full. And so he came to bring life, he came to bring freedom. And it comes through following and obeying him personally. In other words, changing path from our pathway to his pathway. And the pathway that he's, he was on was to death. That fateful day had come about because he'd been betrayed by one of his 12 followers, Judas. In the subsequent action, he'd been abandoned by his closest friends with Peter denying him. And as he stands on trial before the governor Pilate, he is all alone. 
and in front of him is a hostile crowd stirred up by the leaders of the Jewish people. And Pilate literally has the power of life and death in his hands as he offers these two Jesus to the crowd. Which one do you want? Let me read the story again. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Well, you have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply. Not even to a single charge. To the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who's called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. For I suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. (coughs) What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why, what crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us. And on our children. How ironic. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and hand him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. If you come from a Western tradition, which most of us here will have done, We've come from a tradition that values logic. It's a tradition deeply influenced by the Greek philosophical thinkers like Plato and Socrates. And it's that type of logical thinking that has defined the Western world. And in that world, we seek to typically explain the gospel with propositions, with uh, short pithy answers, with some of the wonderful verses that are in the later writings of the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. He who knew no sin became sin for us. When you enter a Hebraic world, you enter a world that is defined by story. It's called an oral culture. And the way you communicate is through story. And so when the good news of the gospel first spread, it spread through story. And what we have today in the gospels is one long story that tells the incredible story of the Son of God who entered this world from heaven 
and lived a life we could never live, but with all the full authority of God, doing all the things you'd expect God to do before he was unjustly tried, as we're reading now, dies on a cross and rises again. And the meaning of that story is that he died in our place. He who became, who knew no sin, became sin for us. And if you want to pick one story that communicates that reality, that Jesus died for our sins, that's what you've got here in the most powerful and visual way. You see, at the heart of the gospel is the message that Jesus died for our sins to bring us freedom and eternal life. And that's what this story is about. A man who is seeking by himself to find freedom and bring freedom stands condemned to die for his sins. One of his fellow murderers on the cross, the one we call the thief, but actually he's a murderer, as he has listened to the banter of the other murderer who has been mocking Jesus, he says, don't you realize we're getting what our sins deserve? We're here because we're under the judgment, not just of Rome, but of God. And you see here with this story, a man who had sought to find freedom, but is due to face the judgment, not just of the Roman government, but also of God himself, is set free. The one who is guilty goes free while the one who is sinless is let out to die. It's the story of how their two paths collide and one became the substitute for the other. And one of the most amazing technical doctrines is the doctrine of the penal substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus. This is this story, this doctrine. He substitutes for you and me. We are Barabbas. Can you imagine how Barabbas felt as he saw Jesus led out to die in his place while he walked free? Can you see the amazement in his eyes as he hears the words, release Barabbas? And he sees the Roman guards come up with the key and they unlock his chains. Can you imagine the look, the gaze? I can just see it as he looks across and looks at Jesus and sees the one that is innocent is going to go and die in his place. And he just walked free. It is such a powerful illustration of the gospel of what happens when your path collides with the Lord Jesus at the cross. He dies there for you and you can walk free. One of the things I was interested to read about was whatever happened to Barabbas. We only know of two things. One, we're told, and these are just, if I can say, rumours from church history, so don't take it as gospel truth, but they're interesting to reflect on. One is that he went out and watched Jesus hang on the cross and die. And there's no surprises there. He literally saw him die on the cross that had his name on it. And this is the heart of the gospel. We who are guilty, who are not right with God, who've sought to find life and freedom in all the wrong pathways of life, when we collide with Jesus' pathway at the cross, we see the one who's died for me.
And if you're here today and you're wondering, is it possible that a God could love me, could forgive me, could take me in? Meet Jesus at the cross. Bring your pathway there and change paths and start walking with him and receive him as saviour into your life. And I'm going to pray at the end for those who would like to do that. But the second stunning thing I read was about what happened to Barabbas afterwards. What would you like to hear me say? What I would have liked to have read was that he was transformed and he went off and became a missionary to tell others about the Jesus who died for him. But that's not what is recorded as a possible ending for his story. One of the rumours is he just went back and became an insurrectionist and was killed. And it's stunning to hear that because you think he didn't get it. And that's what the text presents to us today. It's a choice. Which Jesus do you want? And you see, where we're to identify, I think, is with the crowd. And the question that Pilate asks us through the pages of history is, well, which Jesus do you want? And what you're being asked is, well, which saviour do you want? Which freedom are you looking for? This one called Jesus Barabbas, do you want him? The one who seeks freedom in this world and life in this world? Or do you want this Jesus, the son of Joseph, Jesus whom they call the king? Where do you think freedom's going to be found? Where do you think life's going to be found? Where do you think salvation's going to be found? Which Jesus will you choose today? And as we start this year, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you to make sure your pathway is the pathway of the Lord Jesus, not your own pathway walking some other direction. But that your pathway is following in the footsteps of Jesus. You've met him at the cross, you've received his forgiveness and eternal life, and you're now following in his footsteps. Because he calls us to take up our cross and to follow him. Friends, that is the challenge of this story. The wonder of this story is that like Barabbas, he dies in our place to win our freedom, to win our forgiveness, to win our eternal life. The challenge is, will we follow him in this world? Let me stop and pray. I want to give us a time just to be quiet. Which Jesus do you want to follow this year? For those whose pathway has seemed lost, narrow, despairing, For those who know they've walked away from God on their path, I call you to come to the cross this morning and to see your Saviour 
dying there in your place. If that's you, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, for those who've been wandering away from you, may you cause them, may you help them, may you enable them to walk back to the cross and to receive the forgiveness and hope and life that flows from our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Help us to change paths and to walk with him. But for all of us who know the Lord Jesus, I pray for this year ahead, Lord, that we would walk in the pathway defined by him. Jesus, the son of Joseph, Jesus, the Christ. May we take up our cross and follow you, Lord Jesus. May we know the freedom and life that comes in your name, the forgiveness of sins. May we seek first your kingdom. May you guide us this year. May we not play to the crowd. May we be not lost on the way, but have the light of your word to shine in front of us so that we can walk in your footsteps, we pray this year, this day. In Jesus' name, amen.